Father God, we come before you now in the precious name of Christ. Lord, we are so thankful that we've been able to sing songs unto your glory, God. We thank you that we've been able to read your word that you've preserved for us by which you speak to us. We thank you that we've been able to lift up our voices in prayer. And now, Lord, as we open your word, we ask that you would grab hold of each one of our hearts, young and old, and anchor them to yourself, to your heart. Father, it's been a busy week for many of us, a good week, but a busy week. A week with much love, laughter, busyness, perhaps tiredness. And so as we sit here now, under your word, we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us, that you would renew us, that you would satisfy us, Lord, that you would drown out the cares of the world. That you would open our eyes, that we would behold the majesty, the splendor, the glory, the beauty that is you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask that our hearts would be united as one body, as one family in Christ. Lord, I think of the, the masses of people just outside our doors, driving down the streets, going for walks, utterly lost, utterly alone. They don't have you, Lord, and they don't have a family in Christ by which to experience your love, but we do, and we thank you for it, and we ask that you would deepen that unity, that you would satisfy us, Lord, with all that you are for us, with your steadfast love, with your loving kindness, that you would lead us into truth, Lord, that we would love the truth that is your word. And that we would stand for truth, that you would strengthen us, Holy Spirit, to do so. This Lord being the first Sunday of Advent, we are looking forward. We are looking ahead to celebrate the birth of our Savior. These next few weeks, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be kind and give us a deeper apprehension, a deeper devotion and affection for the incarnation, for the birth of you, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Sunday during our meeting, I mentioned that the last Sunday of the month, we would be looking at the attributes of God. And I had originally planned to start that in January. We had already started that series and this next aspect of who God is just fits so perfectly to kick off um, Advent and to really, I think, center our hearts on these next passages that we'll be looking at in Luke that today we are going to look at the attributes of God, the character of God and who he is. If you haven't already, you can go and get caught up on the website. Those sermons on the, on the character and nature of God are there. Um, but that's what we'll be doing this Sunday today. So let me begin by asking a question. What do you think of when I say God? What came into your mind? For some, 
They picture some impersonal governing force. Others, perhaps when they hear God, they think of this grand architect who made it all, set everything into motion, and now is just sitting back and watching it all unfold. Some picture God more of a, of a loving grandpa just sitting up there in the heavens wanting to dote on his creation. For some, God is more of a, of a personal life coach just there to give you an encouraging word. For some, God is a storehouse of blessings. He'll give you everything you want. Fall into the prosperity gospel. Some see God as a, as a cruel taskmaster, this Zeus-like figure ready to punish the minute that you screw up. Some perhaps have a more biblical perspective, and when I say God, they instantly think the Lord Jesus Christ, Savior, Redeemer, and Friend. But I wonder if when I said God, if anybody here thought relational. Because God is a relational God. That's what you're going to look at this morning. This morning, we are going to see that God is relational and has created us and reconciled us to be in relationship with him. This is why I said this part of who God is perfectly, I guess you could say, opens the door to really center our hearts this Advent season. Because God is real. God is relational. God did make you. God has done everything to reconcile those who would trust in his son so that you can be in relationship with him. God is not distant and detached as some may think. In my prayers that as we look at various passages and parts of who God is here in his relationship, that you'll see that. So it begins by our first point, the creation of man. I don't know if you ever thought about this. The fact that God made humanity points to the fact that God is relational. So our first point, the creation of man. But before we actually look at the creation, we got to take a few steps back and go into eternity past. And we have to see that God, as we've seen in previous messages in this series, God exists within the Trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God existing in three persons, never needing anything, completely self-sufficient, in perfect relationship with himself. This is a claim that no other faith can make. Allah existing in eternity past, has nobody to be in fellowship with, to be relational with. Anybody who has an idea of God that is not Trinitarian has a God who in eternity past was not relational. But our God has always been relational because he's always been in relationship with himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's who he is. In John 17, verse 5, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, he makes reference to this beautiful relationship of love that has always existed. He says, and now, Father, 
Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. So there was a time before anything existed that God the Son was with God the Father in eternity in perfect relationship, both equally glorified as God. Think about it. The template for all relationships in the world comes from the fact that God has been in relationship with himself and this beautiful trinity of love. It's mind-blowing. Here's something that perhaps none of us, or maybe you have, it was, it was new to me to really ponder. In eternity past, before God actually created humanity, God was already loving his people before the creation of the world. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Remember, God exists outside of time. He enters into time, but he exists outside of time. And in Ephesians chapter one, we see that in eternity past, God was loving his people. That love is a relational aspect. Ephesians chapter one, verse four. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. In eternity past, God chose you in love to be his. Before he made you, he had a desire to be in relationship with you. He's displaying there that he is a relational God of love. You know, a picture of that imperfectly that we can kind of begin to wrap our minds about is think of a mother carrying a child. And that child isn't exactly in relationship with the mother yet. He can't see or she can't see their mother or father. But as she carries that child, her love for that child is growing. The mother is having a relationship with that child as that child grows. And then that relationship is experienced in a certain fullness once the child is born. But the mother is already being relational with that child. That's a small picture, an imperfect illustration of how God in eternity past, before we were actually brought into existence in love, had already chosen us for himself, predestined us for himself to be in relationship with him. Does that not blow your mind? Perfect, holy God, recognizing that humanity will fall into sin and yet in love desires and chooses to bring us into relationship with him. Now, something that God created out of some type of need. But God is God. God has no need. The apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, tells us in verse 25, we'll start at verse 24. 
the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord in heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by humans' hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So this this perfect God has no need. He didn't make you because he was in heaven and he just was sitting there thinking, I'm so lonely. I'm so lonely. No, he was in perfect relationship. He needed nothing. If God ever had a need, he wouldn't be God. God creating us is an expression of his love He, in his kindness, creates so that we may share in that perfect relationship he has with himself within the Trinity. God created to bring us into relationship, but he did not create out of need. It's an expression of his love. And what's really important for us to see, that means that God is love. It's not that God became loving. God didn't create and begin to experience love. It wasn't something he came into. God is love. First John chapter four, verse eight tells us this. First John four, eight. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Again, God is love. Love is not God. God is love. God did not become loving. God created us so that his glory may be seen, may be experienced, and may be enjoyed in, in relationship with him. Think about that. God is not greedy with his glory. God recognizes, God knows that he is the greatest being that he is what's most glorious in love and in kindness. He creates to, to make that visible, but he doesn't just make it visible. He brings us into relationship with him so that we may experience who he is in a relational way. Like nothing else in creation can. God is not a distant God. God is relational with each leaf that falls with every snowflake that will soon come. God is communicating to us. God is revealing himself to us. Creation proclaims. Creation is God saying, here I, here I am. Here I am, open your eyes. But it gets even more amazing. This relational God has made us in his image. Time is not going to allow us to unpack what all that means. That's a, that's a message in itself. But let me say this. Nothing else in the entire created order is made in the image of God. Nothing. The most amazing things that we can see out in creation do not bear his image. The other day, my daughter, uh, my two daughters and Alex were watching this animal special. And it was just amazing. And these creatures and these birds and these colors. And you're just like, wow, just amazing craftsmanship in these creatures. They're not made in the image of God. 
you in this room, you are made in God's image. You are made to reflect him. And God making you in his image, as it says in Genesis 1.27, lets us know that it's to be in relationship with him. Listen to Genesis 1.27. We'll start at 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God made you to reflect him so that you can be in relationship with him. Being made in his image uniquely qualifies us to be in relationship with God. This has implications on how we see people. That individual who cuts you off in traffic and you want to, and all of a sudden you lose all your sanctification, but that individual is made in the image of God. Child throwing a tantrum at home, made in the image of God. A difficult spouse in the midst of an argument, made in the image of God. A difficult in-law, a difficult parent, a difficult sibling, a difficult co-worker. Your enemies, those who persecute the church, made in the image of God. And the sooner we really realize that, and the sooner we realize those people were created to be in relationship with him, our hearts will soften and we recognize then that we will go and do more to help them, to want to see them enter into that relationship. Within the first three chapters of Genesis, we see God talking with Adam and Eve. God in relationship with Adam and Eve. Being made in the image of God, you're not made in the image of an impersonal force. You're not made in the image of some energy. You're made in the image of God who is a person, a being. You're not a cosmic accident. You were created personally and uniquely by the one true relational God that exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God made you in his image so that you can delight in his person. You know, there's a, that truth that God has made us in his image to be in relationship with him. That's a powerful apologetic tool there. If you sit down with somebody who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you really begin to have a serious conversation, you get past the superficiality of life and all that stuff. Eating away at the heart of the unsaved individual is this question, what am I here for? What am I here for? Am I here to make money? Am I here just to experience every trivial pleasure that life has? What am I here for? What's the purpose of it all? Some people think life is radically cruel. Some people just go radically hedonistic. But both are asking why. And you can look them in the eye with absolute sincerity. Tell them, you were created by God in his image to have a relationship with him. That's a powerful thing to tell somebody. 
Think about that. The perfect God who needs nothing. The glorious God. He made you to reflect him so that you can be in relationship with him. For somebody who's kind of lost in this world, that is a powerful truth to share. However, though God made us in his image to be relational with him, we screwed that one up. So our second point is the fall of man. And I want to ask a question here. Have you ever had a relationship in your life end because you were wronged or because you wronged them? A relationship that was precious to you, a relationship that you genuinely had love for. And that relationship was severed either because you wronged them or they wronged you. Most of us have experienced that and we know how heartbreaking it can be. But that's exactly what happened. Genesis 3 tells us God creates man. He tells Adam and Eve that they are to, to have all that they want in the garden, but there's this one tree. It's a tree of testing, this tree of obedience. You can't eat from that tree. As long as you don't eat from that tree, our relation, we have a relationship, we have fellowship. But if you eat of that tree, death will ensue and that relationship will be severed. And that's exactly what they did. They broke that relationship they had with God and Adam represented each one of us in the garden. And that's why every single person comes into this world separated relationally from God because of sin. Let me put it this way. Sin severs relationship with God. Sin severs that relationship. In Genesis chapter three, verses eight through 10, we read, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Notice the relational God comes to the garden but man hides from God. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. The natural man seeks to hide themselves from God at every turn. They don't want to reckon with the reality of that God is there. They don't want him, so they hide. They come up with lame excuses. God is distant. God doesn't exist. Well, if God would just reveal himself to me, he would just kind of show up. I believe. But that's not true. Because of sin, man hides himself from God and then blames God for the lack of relationship there. We need to realize a couple important things. God does desire a relationship with humanity. God created us to be in that fellowship with him. But sin will always keep us apart from God. Sin will always keep us from being in relationship. Sin is that serious. 
Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 59. In Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Do you see how serious sin is? God desires a relationship, but he has conditions. Remember, God is holy. God is free from sin. God is righteous. And so therefore, those who are to be in relationship with God must likewise be holy and righteous. The scriptures tell us, be holy as I am holy. Sin separates us from the holy God. For the believer today, that has implications. More often than not, if you are feeling as if, I mean, God, I feel so far from the Lord. God, where are you? Why have you, why does it feel like you've abandoned me? More often than not, it's because there's unconfessed sin in your life. It's not that God is distant, it's that you've created a wall between you and the Lord because that's what sin does. Not eternally separated, but relationally separated. This is this is why 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession affords us communion with him. That's what confession does. This relationship has conditions. But despite our sin, despite us severing the relationship in Adam, God still does the unthinkable. The God who needs nothing, the God who's always been in perfect relationship with himself, the God that we betrayed. He initiates relationships still. Think about that. We spit in the face of God. And he still initiates to be in relationship with us. In Genesis 3, 8 and 9, we had just seen that the God came to the garden. Who initiates that conversation? Adam hides. God seeks. God says, where are you? God knew where he was. He's God. He knows all. He's initiating relationship. He's initiating conversation here. God is the one who seeks when man hides. And near the end of Genesis 3, God gives this amazing promise, Genesis 3.15, as he's talking to Eve, uh, talking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
This is what Christmas is pointing to. The relational God makes a promise that he will send one who will restore man's relationship with God and put an end to the one who seeks to keep us from God. I don't know if we sit there and we grasp this enough. People want to say God is love and, you know, why would God not save everybody? What more can God say and what more can God do to show you that he wants you in relationship with him, that he created you to be in relationship with him? Those who continue to protest and give excuse as if there's some deficiency in God are so inflated with pride that they don't realize that there is nothing that natural man has within himself that would merit a relationship with holy God. And yet the holy God who needs nothing has done everything to bring you back into relationship with him. At the very beginning of scripture, he gives that promise. God is not distant. Man is unrepentant. That's the reality. One need only confess their sin and turn to Christ and trust on the merits of Christ. You're back in relationship with the God who made you. The The natural man hides as Adam did. Let me ask this question. Perhaps you're in this room and you're not a believer. You haven't trusted in Christ. How's that working out for you? I've been there. You know what it's like 2 a.m. in the morning to have that pit in your stomach, knowing that you live in perpetual loneliness. I've been there. So really quiet at two o'clock in the morning. All the sinful pleasures of the world have closed up shop. You got to deal with yourself. There is a God who made you. He made you in his image. He made you to be in relationship with him. He has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to reconcile you back into relationship with him. How is that working out for you? To continue to hide from him. For those in here who are believers, are there sins in your life right now that you are not cutting away? And as a result, your relationship with God feels strained and somewhat distant. If there are, confess those sins and put them to death and be reconciled back into fellowship. This relational God made us, man fell. Perhaps the biggest testimony to show us the relational nature of God is the sending of of his son, Jesus Christ. This is why I said I wanted to cover this this morning because hopefully it will expand our understanding of how much God desires relationship as we continue to look at these first chapters in Luke. 
God the Father sends his one and only beloved son, God the Son. Why does he send him? Luke chapter 19, verse 10. You highlight in your Bible or underline, this is one of those verses. Luke 19.10 tells us, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to save sinners and bring them back into relationship with God. Do you ever think God doesn't care about you? Do you ever think God has forgotten you? Do you ever think God is too busy to to remember you're there? Look only to the cross. God has done everything to be in relationship, to bring you and reconcile you back into relationship. So much so that time doesn't allow It didn't that God came to seek and save. It didn't say that God came to offer simply, choose me. I want to be in relationship with you. Please just choose to be in relationship. No, God actually saved you. Jesus didn't make salvation possible. Jesus secured salvation for his people. God so desires reconciled relationship with his children, those who he adopted and predestined before the foundations of the world, that he did everything, even overcoming unbelief, to bring you back into relationship. Scripture tells us that we are dead in our sins. God resuscitated you. God gave you life. He breathed life back into you to be in relationship with him. God didn't make the relationship possible. God secured the relationship with him again. If you are in this room today and you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are in relationship with God through Christ, know that it isn't because God stuck his hand on us and said, just take my hand and be back in relationship. No, you were dead. You were dead. God was so relational that he re it's as if some illustrations say, Salvation is like a man drowning and the lifeguard sticks the hand out and you reach out to the lifeguard. No, that's not it. You were at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. You were fish food. And God went to the very depths of the sea, pulled your corpse out of the water, brought you on shore and breathed new life into you. He did it all to have a reconciled relationship with you. That is how relational God is. By faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, our sin is removed, eternal life is given, and we are reconciled to God. There's a lot of amazing, cool things that'll be in heaven. Gold roads and fancy fences. All of it is pointing back to God. Ultimately, that's what heaven will be. An unhindered relationship with God in Christ. Every obstacle, every doubt, 
every besetting sin we toil with in this side of, of, of life, all of that's gone. Heaven will be perfect fellowship with God. In Christ, we've been brought back into relationship. Romans chapter 5. Verses 8 and 10, 8 through 10. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were, enem for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Love is experienced in the context of relationships. We were in the book of Colossians when we first started gathering. It was a rich time of studying Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, we read, And you who were who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil things, Deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. God has done everything, he's removed every obstacle to be in relationship with you. Another question for us to consider as we talk about the relational God. What is eternal life? An important question. Some would say it's eternal life means you live forever. There's truth to that. But God's word actually tells us something far richer to the, to the question, what is eternal life? John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life is knowing God. And that word know is not talking about mere intellectual head knowledge. It's an intimate word speaking of relationship. It's often used between a husband and wife, Adam knew Eve. Eternal life is not simply a quantity of life, but a quality of life. Eternal life is to be in loving relationship with the triune God. So when God offers eternal life in and through Christ, it is in being brought into relationship with God because God is relational. That means you and I can experience, we can be living eternally right now. There's an aspect where right now we are already eternal beings because we know God. Though this body of flesh we have is decaying and falling apart and all that, our soul is eternally in fellowship with God right now. And there will be a day where we receive glorified bodies, but we live in the already not yet. So again, now the question comes, seeing that God in Christ 
has reconciled us to relationship. Have you been reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ? I would say this, don't delay. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be brought back into relationship with your creator. Experience joy unspeakable. You need not live dead in your sin and in that deep loneliness that we know is there. And for the believer, are you striving to experience that true eternal life here and now? Are you seeking to know God deeper and richer? And this, he says it, and this is eternal life. That they know you. Believer, do you know God? Not know about God, do you know him? When you talk of God with people, is it with true relational affection? Or is it more just bullet point propositional statements? We are called to know him because he knows us. It's a relationship. Give yourself to knowing him. Our last point this, this morning is how do we, is our response. How do we respond to the fact that God is relational? Now, our reconciled relationship with God, let me just be very clear, is 100% alone through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way we are brought back into relationship with Christ is not by anything we do, but by everything that Christ has done. We put our faith in his finished work, and that is how we are reconciled. But how do we then experience, how do we respond within this relationship that we've been brought back into? Should go without saying with gratitude and obedience. But I want to give three, just three practical ways that we can respond to God being relational. The first is to seek him. Psalm 27. Verse four and verse eight. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Verse eight, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Have you been brought into relationship with God once again through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? We are to seek him. King David, right, had everything a man could want. Money, power, prestige, and yet he says, one thing I've asked of the Lord. One thing. What is the one thing you would ask of God today? Would it be this? That I can gaze upon your beauty? That I can just behold you? That I can inquire in your temple all day long? Is that the one thing you would ask of the Lord now who's brought you back into relationship with him? Because that's what David's saying here. 
Because the most valuable, the most richest thing David could have is a relationship with the Lord. To gaze upon the one who is beauty and gives beauty to any other thing. When you are in prayer, do you cry out to God and say, your face, Lord, do I seek? Do you seek the Lord or do you just seek his blessing? Do you seek the Lord or do you just want his peace? The fact that God created us to be in relationship with him, the fact that he's brought us back into relationship with him through Christ, he should be the chief pursuit of our life. Is the, out of all the relationships that are precious to you, this needs to be number one. Do you work harder at your relationship with your husband or wife than you work at your relationship with God? Do you work harder at your relationship with your children than your relationship with God? Do you spend more time thinking about even praying and interceding for people at work than you do in communion with God for God's sake? Because this is the relationship. Every other relationship here on this life will expire at some point. This relationship, this relationship is eternal. Then this is eternal life that you would know God. This is what God has made you for. The Westminster Catechism says, and what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. You enjoy God within the context of relationships. So first we respond by seeking him. Secondly, we respond to God being relational by fleeing sin. Because as we've seen, sin severs relationships. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Having been reconciled to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to do everything within your power to remove any and all sin from your life. Sin will always hinder relationship with him. What is the sin right now in your life that is hindering relationship with God the most? And what are you doing to kill it? I've been in some counseling sessions trying to help struggling marriages. And there comes a point where one of the spouses realizes I have to change this thing right now, or this marriage is lost. It's a very sobering moment when that realization happens, that light bulb hits because they realize if I don't cut this thing out, I'm not going to have a marriage much longer. If you persist in sin, and you do not fight 
to put it to death than remove it from your life so that you can have that relationship with God, there is a very good chance, perhaps, that you are not in relationship with God. If the fact that there is sin in your life doesn't grieve you because you recognize, how can I live in this sin against the God who created me, loved me, saved me, reconciled me? How can I do this? And you don't avail yourself to every means of grace to remove that sin from your life? then perhaps you're not in relationship with them because those who love somebody that they're in relationship with, when they are made aware that there is something within them that is hurting the other and damaging the relationship, they will move mountains to get rid of it so that the relationship can be restored. Sin severs relationship with God. Flee from sin, believer. Put sin to death so that you can be in fellowship with God. So you can be in relationship with God. He has forgiven. He has made forgiveness possible. He's given you his very spirit that indwells you. And he's given you his inerrant, infallible, inspired word so that you can flee from sin. First Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, 13, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. But with temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure You're not trapped in sin. God has a door there shining with neon lights saying emergency exit. You just got to jump out the hatch. It's there. It's available. He's made you able by his spirit to flee sin, run from sin to Christ. You're not a victim of sin. You're an active participant. Which relationship will you cultivate? Your relationship with sin or your relationship with God? <clears throat> Lastly, the last way we, we can respond to God's being relational is by proclaiming Christ, by proclamation. Knowing that you were created to be in relationship with God, knowing that every human being made in his image is created to be in relationship with God, knowing that sin has made a separation there. We should give ourselves to preaching the gospel of reconciliation. How can you stay silent? How can I stay silent? A silent Christian is a wicked person. I have to just say it that way. To know that you were made in relationship to be in God's image, to know you were made to be in relationship with him, to know that Christ has done everything possible so that you can be back in relationship with him. And then to look out on your coworkers, to look out on people, family members, neighbors, and to know perhaps if I open my mouth and proclaim the gospel of reconciliation, they can have what I have. And then to say, no, I'm not going to do it. It's uncomfortable. That's wicked. That's wicked. Imagine you see a man drowning and you have an extra life jacket and you're like, it takes a lot of effort to throw it to him. Like that's, that's wicked. Second Corinthians chapter five. Starting in verse 18. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us all believers the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against, against them, and entrusting to us, all believers, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, all believers, are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, all believers, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. This is one of the ways that we respond to God bringing us into relationship with him because he's a relational God. We are given the ministry of reconciliation. We should be in a sense, divine matchmakers. How are we doing at that? I'll be honest. I'm not doing as good as I should be. I find myself this week working through this, these passages, these realities. And I recognize I'm so busy sometimes doing the work of the ministry within the church that I'm not giving myself to the ministry of reconciliation for those outside of it. Now God will save who he saves. God's doesn't need me to accomplish his work, but God does command me and God makes his appeal through me in this ministry of reconciliation. We respond to the relational God bringing us back into relationship with him by proclaiming to others to be in relationship with him through Christ. I would encourage you, just pick one person. If you're taking notes, think of that one person, write their name down, circle it, start with praying for that person and ask God to give you opportunity to proclaim the gospel of reconciliation to that person. And if they look at you and say, no, thank you. Okay, guess what? Pray for another opportunity and do it again. It took seven years of me being hard-hearted of hearing the message of reconciliation. It took me seven years. I burned Bibles. I, I, I cursed at the Lord. Seven years, the gospel of reconciliation being shared again and again and again. And by the grace of God, I've been reconciled to him through Christ. So pick that one person, write their name, circle it, and be a bulldog. And if nothing else, it'll sanctify you to learn how to persevere. Church, we serve a relational God. He was in perfect relationship in eternity past. He created us in his image to be in relationship with him. He reconciled us back in relationship with him through his son. So do not ever think that God is distant. He has done everything needed. Let me close with this quote by the late Jerry Bridges. Quote, so often we try to develop Christian character and conduct without taking the time to develop God-centered devotion. We try to please God without taking the time to walk with him and develop a relationship with him. This is impossible to do. End quote. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning, recognizing that we are your children in this room. If we have trusted in Christ, we are sons and daughters. I can't think of a more precious relationship than to be a son or a daughter of God. Your love, your care, your protection. But we are so because of what you have done. You have sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to seek and save the lost. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your perfect life, your substitutionary death, your resurrection by which you rendered sin powerless for those who trust in you. 
We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our very life. You indwell us by your spirit. I can't think of a, a more intimate relationship to the fact that you are living your life in and through us by your spirit. We thank you, God, that you are a God of relationship. We pray that you would strengthen us by your spirit and by your word to grow into deeper relationship with you. But Lord, we confess also that we have not been faithful as we ought to be your ambassadors. You have entrusted to us the message of reconciliation, but far too often we stay quiet. We ask that you would forgive us, but we also ask now that you would strengthen us, that you would put courage and conviction in us, that we would open our mouths and that we would proclaim Christ. We pray, Lord, that these words would be true of us, that we would look at men and women and children all around us, and we would say, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. We thank you for your great love, and your love is shown to us in the relationship we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.